you would go there, Acts chapter 16, as we continue through our journey, the book of Acts, my favorite book in the New Testament. Uh, you ask, why is it? Because that's the one we're in right now. So that's kind of the way I usually look at our uh, favorite books of the Bible. Uh, but I do love the book of Acts. It's a book of action, and I like action things. If I'm going to watch a movie, I like a little action in there, amen? So uh, this is a book that I enjoy reading through because it talks about how the uh, early church started out. Luke records in this chapter three specific conversions, and we looked at the first one last week. We'll look at the two next ones this week. Uh, they show the power of the gospel to save people from differing backgrounds, different ways of life, and there's three very different people that get saved in this chapter. We saw last week uh, Lydia, a cultured sinner, uh, verses uh, 12 through 15, and we uh, looked at how the Lord worked, or, or, or Paul was able to work with her. She got saved. Uh, she, the gospel answered a thirst that was in Lydia's soul. Uh, then she, after she said yes to the gospel, verse 15, and then she was baptized. She not only believed, but she was baptized. Maybe right then and there they were at a river's edge after all. But imagine the crowd that gathered this well-to-do, well-dressed woman. Lydia was a uh, presumably well-off, owned the business there. And imagine the crowd that gathered and watched her, verse 15, and her household. So I don't know if that's uh, husband, children, servants, but whoever was a part of her household, um, she, they, they also got baptized as well and saved. Uh, Lydia's testimony inspired others, and I want to look tonight at how our testimony, as we see example here, can make a big impact in the people around us and how we respond to trouble and things that happen in our lives. Now, looking at the two others here, let's start reading verse number 16. We've looked at the cultured sinner, then we're going to look at a captive sinner, and then a calloused sinner. Uh, verse number, uh, chapter number 16, verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their, their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them in the marketplace, unto the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrate rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. All right, here's where we put ourselves in their place. They have been beaten. There are stripes laid upon them. Uh, what is their mindset? What are their actions after this happened? Verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands we're loosed. I want to preach tonight for a few minutes here on a wacky earthquake. This was a wacky earthquake. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few moments here. Remove distractions, Lord. Help us to focus in on your word and what you have for us. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see tonight a captive sinner saved. It came to pass, verse 16, which as we went to prayer, a certain damsel uh, met us which brought her masters much gain. She was held by the cruel chains of slavery. First it was a cultured lady. Now we see a captive slave girl. Uh, first it was a successful businesswoman. Now it is a demon-possessed girl. This girl was a slave, and slavery was a major scourge in Paul's day. Now, it's interesting that Paul never made any effort to deal with slavery directly or as a societal scourge, which it was, because he, made, he did not deal with social problems, but he dealt with spiritual problems. But can I tell you a secret? When you deal with spiritual problems and a person gets their spiritual side right, the social side gets fixed along with it. In fact, he saw that, uh, we, we see that with Onesimus, we'll talk about just in a moment, but man must get right with God before we get right with our fellow man. Man's first sin, what did it do? It separated man from God. When Eve sinned along with Adam, Adam with her, by the way, we like to blame the woman for leading us into sin, but the Bible says Adam was with her. Uh, he was standing there listening to the whole thing, and instead of being her spiritual leader, and saying, no, 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 Eve, we're not going to do this. He let her eat, and then he ate himself. Adam was just as guilty as, the, the, as Eve was. But man's first sin separated him from God. His sec the second major sin we see in the Bible separated man from man when Cain killed his brother Abel. Today, uh, we deal uh, with many churches and many missions, uh, missionaries and missions agencies uh, try to take the world the social gospel. Uh, whether it be hospitals, orphanage, nothing wrong with any of those things. Those are good things. But that kind of puts the cart before the horse. Uh, we, uh, when we're concerned with man's relationship with man, Paul knew better. Get, get a person right with God, and soon enough they'll get right with man. They'll get right with one another. Uh, it's a good reminder to us that when we are in conflict with a brother and sister in Christ, often there's a bigger problem behind it than just that conflict between us. So Paul did not address the issue of slavery. He addressed the spiritual problem of sin. The girl was a slave, but Paul doesn't deal with that directly. That does not mean Paul is putting his stamp of approval on the process of slavery. He's just dealing with the spiritual side. He did that with Onesimus. Uh, we see in the book of Philemon that Paul's answer to the... Remember, if you know the story, the book of Philemon is a letter to Philemon because Onesimus was a runaway slave came presumably to prison where Paul was at. Paul led him to Christ. Now he's free, and Paul sends him back to his master Philemon. And Paul does not deal with him as a slave, but he, he, tells, he tells Philemon to treat Onesimus, his converted slave, as a brother in Christ, as Philemon treated Paul himself. And so if you're going to treat him as a brother, like Paul was telling him to, then the slavery thing is going to be a non-issue. Because if we get right with God, we're going to get right with man. So he, we see this girl held by the chains of slavery, also by the chains of Satan. Uh, verse 16, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The expression here, a spirit of divination, literally uh, is a spirit of python. In Greek mythology, the demon python, or uh, the demon Apollo, connected with, uh, with, with uh, predicting the future, soothsaying, card reading, tarot, all those things we have today, 
fortune-telling, that type of thing was going on even then. Now, Satan was called a serpent in Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Revelation chapter 12, all throughout the Bible, he's referred to as a serpent. Whenever we see an infatuation with serpents, we are seeing an influence of Satan. If you like pet snakes, there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry. I just, I have to believe that. Uh, I cannot imagine wanting a pet snake. Now, if you have a pet snake, nothing wrong with you. Well, there is, but I mean, it's not, I'm not saying there's something biblically wrong with you, but just why would a person want a pet snake? But this demon-possessed, we're not preaching on snakes tonight. That was just a personal opinion, all right? The demon-possessed girl was able to make inspired utterances. She was able to predict things. She was able to uh, know things about people. Why? Because Satan's the prince of the power of the air, and he has power, and she had some of it. Her masters found her gift profitable. People would flock to her to have their fortunes told. I have a bloody nose. What a time to get a bloody nose in front of church. I don't know why. Um, you talk about the devil, maybe he socked me in the face. I don't know. But her masters found her gift profitable. Uh, people would flock to her to have their fortunes told. She was a valuable piece of property. And uh, she was a slave, so she was at her master's mercy. This is odd, but I'm going to have to have you come up and take over for just a little bit, would you? Uh, you can talk about this or you can talk about something else. I have never had this happen before where I got a bloody nose in front of church, but I'm going to go deal with it if you wouldn't mind. Um, a little bit odd. I'm sorry. I'll come back and we'll talk about Paul and Silas. Go ahead. You know, we're, we're taught as pastors to be always ready to preach, pray, or die. And uh, so here I am. Uh, this also is a very interesting passage to me. I especially like the passage in the pretext about uh, Lydia. So let's just take a second and let's review that, starting in verse 12. Um, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia in a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath, that would be the Jewish Saturday, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and we spoke to the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia. Now this lady was a seller of purple, which meant she was a, a very celebrated businesswoman. Well, she was there at, at this prayer meeting, and she was from Thyatira, it says in verse 14. She was already worshiping God. She was already doing all the right things that a religious person would do. However, she needed to be saved. Let's keep reading. And verse, uh, the last part of verse 14 says, Whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of of Paul, and we know that Paul preached to her the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what she heard for the first time, uh, even though she had a lot of her training back in her childhood. She was just the perfect lady. But being good and being perfect wasn't enough. She needed to be saved. And then after she received what Paul had said to her in verse 15, then she was baptized. And her household... And as we just learned in the discipleship class, the household that does not necessarily mean there were babies. If it mentioned in the text that she was a seller of purple, chances are her household included her workers, the, all the people that worked for her. They liked the message as well. 
And uh, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And so she immediately went from hearing the gospel, receiving the gospel, influencing her friends with the gospel, and she got baptized, and then what she did was uh, she wanted to serve by taking care of Paul and the people that were with him. And then as he exits this part, he gets into where the pastor is at right now, and he's coming back to, to rescue me, okay? Verse number 16 is where he started. Okay, sorry about that. That happens once in a while to me, but has never happened in the pulpit before. So, um, But this... I, amen to what he said. I agree with everything he said, and we'll go from there. Uh, but this grieved Paul. This girl, it, it bothered him, obviously. He, he must have cared for her soul deeply, and he did for a while nothing about the situation because uh, she was not for sale, so he couldn't buy her and free her, and this would present a problem because if Paul, as we see, happened, if he, if he frees her from her demon possession, while she's somebody else's property... What would, what would she then suffer at her owner's hand when she's no longer profitable? So Paul was distressed because damage was being done to the cause of Christ, and no doubt, uh, like I said, his heart went out to her. Now you might say, look at verse 17, she cried, these men are the servants of the Most High God which show us the way into salvation. Is she right? Yeah, she's right. But uh, you, can't, you, can't accept, uh, you can't accept truth, testimony of demons, and so just because she was making a correct statement, if you'll see along the Gospels, there's times that demon-possessed people said things about Jesus that were correct, but Jesus never accepted the testimony of demons, and he want, didn't want any, test, he didn't want any uh, testimony from a perverted source, neither did Paul. Uh, it's important because if you start to go down that path and you accept because something is true, they're going to lie and they're going to deceive, and so he did not want to go down that path at all. So at last, Paul could stand it no longer. The girl is freed from spiritual captivity. This cap captivity was and always is worse than any slavery devised by man. Now, we might think it's a terrible thing that she was a slave, and it was. It's a much worse thing that she was demon-possessed because satanic oppression is worse oppression than any man can put on you. But she no longer, uh, once she was free of that, her chains fell off, but now she didn't have her powers anymore. Look at what happened next. In verse 19, we see Paul and Silas seized here. When her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Now, I am pro-business, but there are some businesses that need to be destroyed, and this was one of them. A business that feeds on people's vices, a business that is based on lust, businesses that wreck homes. Pornography industry is a $12 billion a year industry. It has a larger combined revenue every year than CBS, NBC, and ABC combined. And these types of evils ought to be dealt with in our society the same way we deal with the cancer in our body. We ought to eradicate it. But the problem is with liquor and gambling and such types of vices, these are represented by very powerful interests. And when you attack it, you will be attacked, as we see here with Paul and Silas. It's interesting that only twice in the book of Acts, you might find this surprising, but attacks on the church only twice came from Gentiles. And both times it involved money. 
Philippi and Ephesus was the two places. Well, money was involved and the attack came. It is no wonder the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money is not the root of evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So they cared not a whit for this girl, but she was profitable. Now she's no good to them. And they're furious. And they blame Paul and Silas. Verse number 20. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men being Jews. Now this probably explains, remember Luke and Timothy are with them. But Luke and Timothy didn't get arrested. Probably this explains part of the reason. Luke was obviously a Gentile. Timothy was half a Gentile, probably looked all Gentile. And anti-Semitism was a great way for them to get the mob all fired up. This is not a new thing. It existed back then as well. But Paul and Silas were Jews. They looked like Jews. And Jews were not like other people. They did not worship the gods that the Gentiles worshipped there. They were clannish. They wouldn't buy from the Gentile markets. And now Roman law protected the Jews, much like our laws protect the Christian, but not always. Just refuse to bake a cake and see how much the laws protect you. We see that even in our society today. Uh, but they were about to have a very unfair trial. Verse 20 talks about it. These men being Jews. Note, note the disgust there uh, between being Jews in verse 20 and us being Romans in verse 21. They were turning public opinion against Paul and Silas. They were sentenced in verse 22 to be beaten. The mob was infuriated to think that a couple of Jewish outsiders would interfere with the right of a Roman to do what he wanted to do with his slave. So they had him stripped and they had him beaten. When they had laid, verse 23, many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. They were beaten until their backs were filled with cuts, welts, and bruises. Then no doubt in severe pain, they were locked up in jail. That will teach them to interfere in our business, so they thought. Look at verse number 24. Who having received such a charge, this is the jailer, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks, treating them like dangerous criminals. The jailer would be in big trouble if they escaped, and so he put them in a maximum security ward. And to make doubly sure, he locked their feet and their hands, presumably, in stocks to make sure they could not get up. Now his duty done, he slammed and locked the door, leaving them there, broken and bleeding in the dark, the jailer would probably be a pensioner from the Roman army. His life as a soldier would have probably instilled good traits and some character into him. He would be brave, he'd be dependable, but he would also would be rough and he would be callous. And Luke has shown us at Philippi how the Holy Spirit dealt with a tender soul in Lydia, the cultured sinner. He has shown us how he dealt with a tormented soul, the girl, the captured sinner, now he's going to show us how he deals with a tough soul in this callous sinner's life. He's going to, nothing short of an earthquake is going to reach him, but let's see what happens. Now, before we get there and look at this callous sinner, I want to just ask you to stop and consider what you would be doing. I mean, you're, you're, all you did is free a girl from demon possession. You're preaching the gospel. You have been beaten. Many stripes. I mean... You know, public whippings aren't a thing in, in this day and age. Uh, we, we don't really see that much. We haven't certainly haven't experienced it. I got a few bad spankings in my life, but nothing like this. 
where there were many stripes laid on. And here they are. Those were undeserved spankings, just so you know. Just want to set the record straight on that one. Uh, but imagine the unfairness here. They're thrown in for preaching. And it's a good thing for us to insert ourselves sometimes in the biblical story. What would we do in this situation? Let's look at what they did. Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. What was that conversation like? How you feeling, Silas? I've, I've been better. <laughs> uh, Silas, Brother Paul, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. Isn't there anything we can do? Well, we can pray. Don't you love when some super spiritual guy says, we ought to pray? Well, of course, there is that. Let's pray. So they prayed. And as they did, the peace of God flooded their soul. What happened next, I really believe this can only happen to a child of God. They started to rise above their circumstances. And uh, when they said, Amen... Maybe Paul said something like this. Silas, you know that song George Beverly Shea used to sing? I'm improving here. How great thou art, O Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all thy works thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Their muscles ache, they're tired, they're hurting but their spirits lift, their voices get stronger, and they start belting out songs. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. I mean, soon enough, the prison is reverberating with the sounds of their singing. Can you imagine the shock on the hard-case criminals that are surrounding them and watching this scene? They know what it's like to be in the innermost prison. They know what it's like to have their hands in the stocks and their feet in the stocks. They would expect to hear yelling and anger. This is a place of cursing and manipulation and negotiation, but instead, to everybody's great surprise, they heard hymns. I'm guessing that singing would be quite a strange sound in that little prison. Yet the other prisoners heard the name of Jesus hearing the message of salvation in song. Let me ask again, how would you respond? You're in that situation. How do you respond when you face trouble? How do you respond today? Do we complain? Do we moan about it? When you find yourself in the inner prison of life, your feet locked down, how do we respond? I heard this statement years ago, and I always remember it because it's so true. Your best sermon is you in the valley. When you're in the valley... Then people see how you respond. Your best witness, your best testimony is you in the valley. What happened next? Verse 26. We see a stronghold shaken, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosened. Paul and Silas singing in that cell, and God came to their rescue. And what followed was the strangest earthquake, perhaps, in human history. I've never been in an earthquake. I've been in a very minor one, but I was like one year old, so I don't remember. But uh, I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake before. Uh, walls did not cave in. The roof did not cave in here. The doors just popped open. That's a strange earthquake, isn't it? That is one wacky earthquake. All that happened, the, wall, the Bible says the foundations were shaking, but all that happened is just the prison doors burst open. And then you know what else? 
the chains fell off. Now, what kind of earthquake makes the chains fall off your wrists? Well, that's what happened in this earthquake. Well, God's in it, obviously we know. Oh, man, that our brand of Christianity would make things like that come about. Peter in prison, expecting to be executed the next morning, sleeping like a baby. And the angel frees him. Paul and Silas, bruised and bleeding, sing like angels. No wonder great things happened in the book of Acts. They believed great things about God. They held on to the great truths, and no wonder souls were saved. Look at verse number 27. The keeper of the prison, this is our callous sinner, awakened out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself. Why? Supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Well, what, did you, what would you expect? This wasn't the Hilton. Hey, if the doors open up, the residents are going to flee. That's usually what happens in a prison. And the earthquake woke him up, and he only needed to see one thing, the open doors. And he knew what was the result of that. If the doors to a prison are open, the prisoners are gone. That's, that's just a deduction that he made. He knew he was a dead man. He would be disgraced. He saw the door open. He found what he believed to be an empty prison. He would be held accountable. Better to die now than face arrest, torture, or some public form of shame and death. So he pulled his sword. He was ready to fall on it and kill himself. But Paul, verse 28, cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Oh man, we could go into that too. Why were they all there? I mean, I can understand Paul and Silas, but they were all there. I can, as I picture it, I can see maybe some of the prisoners, <laughs> doors are open, let's get out of here. No, 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 no. No, no, we're not leaving. Paul and Silas, I believe, had led many of them to Christ already because they all stayed there. None of them left. This was a three-part miracle. Paul and Silas rejoicing and suffering. Every prisoner released by an earthquake and every single pr prisoner restrained from running away. The jailer had to be absolutely flabbergasted when he sees this scene. And it was true. There they were, all of them. Every prisoner stayed. What an amazing thing. Uh, some power greater than he had ever known kept each prisoner in his cell. He did not know what it was, but he did know one thing. It had to be connected to, this, to these two men, Paul and Silas. There was something about them. Maybe he had heard their message. Maybe he heard them sing. Maybe they had responded kindly to his rude treatment. All he knew that his life was saved because of these two men. Conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, and yearning filled his soul. A greater miracle, can I tell you, a greater miracle than shaking the prison took place because this man to his very core was shaken. And it's a greater miracle to shake a man than it is to shake a prison. And he was to the depths of his soul. The Bible says he sprang in. He came trembling. And he fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, verse 30, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. This man was now thoroughly under conviction. He had come face to face with men that had something that he did not have. And it rocked him to his core. He was hit where he lived in this jail. Just like Peter was with the fish. Remember that? When Jesus uh, caught all those fish, beat Peter at his own game. Well, here the same thing happened to this man. He was beaten at his own game. He brought him out, presumably to have a better look at him. And his second reaction was to ask him, the only question left, what must I do to be saved? 
A sense of his own personal sinfulness weighed on him. Uh, he knew what he would have done had the roles been reversed. Had he been a prisoner, and had he been beaten, and had those doors sprung open, he would have definitely run off. And he knew that was not the case with these men, and instantly he knew he was lost and needed to be saved. If anyone could help him, it was these men, and that prompted his question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I like the fact that Peter, I mean, Paul, it's not in this way, but he could have answered, what, do? What do you mean, do? It's all been done, amen? That's what he answered. All you got to do is believe. Uh, the work's been done by your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has paid the price. And so the answer to this do question, it isn't a do question. It's a done question. Praise God for the Messiah. The key word is not do, it is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This is the gospel in the simplest terms. Believe in a master, the Lord, in a man, Jesus, in a Messiah, Christ. Praise God. He believed and he was saved. And he got uh, his whole house too, the Bible says, got saved along with him. What an impact that these men had on him. Now, the challenge tonight is, is really simple. What are you doing to affect someone for the gospel? Now, I don't know about you. This moment has never happened to me where I have so impacted that somebody slides down to me on their knees begging me, How, what must I do to be saved? That's a pretty dramatic moment. But we can awaken in other people a thirst for what we have. And when we are in trouble and when we have problems and when we have difficulties of life and other folks can see us go through them and when we can sit in hypothetical i mean uh, just in a picture in prison when we sit with our backs raw from a beating and we're singing instead of complaining and we're praising the lord instead of moaning about all the troubles in our life friend that makes an impact it makes an impact in people and it makes them thirsty my my dad, oh, uh, I, whenever he hears the term, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, my dad always has the same response. Yeah, but you can give him some salt. Make him thirsty, see? We can do that. What does the Bible call us? The salt of the earth, amen? What do one of the things salt does? It makes people thirsty. You give somebody enough salt, they're going to go after, some, after the water of life, and so we need to make people thirsty. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas did here. With their testimony, the way they responded to trouble uh, that showed this man, these men have something that I don't have. Not only that, they have something I want. And he slides in front of them on his knees, what must I do to be saved? Wow, that makes me want to do kind of what Paul and Silas did, to create that desire and that thirst in another person for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be about that business. And I can tell you, now we probably, this week, you will not get thrown into the clink. You'll probably not be beaten. You'll probably not be, uh, have a raw back from all the stripes laid on you. But you will have issues. You will have problems. Somebody will uh, offend you or something will happen where you have an opportunity to respond with grace or you have an opportunity to respond in anger. How are you going to respond to the troubles in life? It makes an impact because somebody is always watching. Somebody's watching you, especially if they know you're a Christian. They want to see how you're going to respond. Somebody offends you. Somebody uh, cusses you out or does something to upset you. How do you respond? It was a response, not an action, that led this man to Christ. 
He saw the response of Paul and Silas. How about yours? How are your responses? Father, we thank you for this passage. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have of opening your word and just seeing what you have for us.